Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Veterinary Optimist. I am your host, Jennifer Evans. Today is going to be a great episode. I've got a dear friend of mine here, Dr. Omar Farias. He was born and raised in Puerto Rico. He received his BMD from the University of Pennsylvania. For 11 years, he worked in small animal practice, first as an associate and later as a practice owner. While in practice, he dedicated part of his time helping several local animal welfare organizations. In 2011, he joined Hills Pet Nutrition and moved his family to New York City. Dr. Farias currently serves as the Director of Scientific and Academic Affairs. Dr. Farias is also President-Elect for the Pride BMC community. He serves as a board member at the Mark Morris Institute, and he lives in Kansas City with his husband, Paul, his Chihuahua, Las Chispa, and his cat, Desi Lou. Dr. Farias, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for uh, for including me in this episode. Uh, you know what? It's going to be a great conversation. And I I knew the second I met you that I was going to make this pitch. But I think um, it makes it even better because many of you don't know who's listening right now. Uh, Omar, oh, you're okay with me calling you Omar, I assume, right? That is what I'm most comfortable with, Omar. You know. mm, I love that. What's funny is we were on, we did a pre-recording just now of that intro. and. I totally botched it, which happens because things aren't perfect, but it led to a very genuine conversation of how we both recognize that, you know, life isn't perfect and that you're going to have things that go wrong. And the best thing to do is make the best of it and, and, and try again. So here we are trying again. So welcome. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Omar and I met on this set for, it was DVM 360. We were doing something for Pride Month and we immediately knew that we wanted to be in each other's lives. I mean, we had an immediate connection. I think it's because I gave Omar a lot of compliments because he's just one of those people that you want to be around at all times. But um, deep down inside, it's mainly because I just want to be your friend. So I'm super grateful that my compliments worked. The compliments go back and forth. I don't know. You know, it's funny when I get compliments, I'm usually the person that like downplays any compliment. So um, honestly, there was just an immediate natural like ease of talking to you. And I feel it right now. I felt that every time I've had a conversation with you, it's just simply, um, you know, the, the I, I, I don't know if we're going to call it energy. I don't know what you want to call it. I just know that the way that we operate just kind of really just match really easily. And it was, it was effortless. And I love when I meet individuals in which like every interaction is effortless, that's like, I know I want to be part of those people's lives. And you are one of those individuals. I say the same thing, Omar. It's so crazy because people will, I'll meet somebody and I'll go back and tell my partner, I'm like, that person's supposed to be in my life. Like I met him, I talked to him for five minutes, but that person's supposed to be in my life. Like you just meet these people where you know that they're meant to be there. You know that they're serving this bigger purpose in your life. You can feel it because of how natural the conversations are. And, and I think that this is a perfect example of that. Like, I truly believe that we are going to be friends for a very long time because of how natural it feels between us. And I think that kind of even leads us a little bit into what we're doing here today because we met briefly. We didn't get a chance to really get to know each other on a professional basis as far as like what our stories were and how we got to where we're at. And so I started sending you really kind, sweet emails to get you on here to know a little bit more about your story. Tell me, I want to start from the very beginning. You grew up in Puerto Rico. Is that a correct statement? 
Yeah, yeah. So I was uh, born and uh, raised in uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, uh, I uh, I grew up in a small town, uh, Dorado. I, I did my undergrad um, at the University of Puerto Rico. Um, since Puerto Rico currently does not have a veterinary school, I had to then apply to the States. Um, um, and I went to vet school in the States. But yeah, the, the, my growing up, my 21 years uh, before I went to vet school, um, I was at home um, in Puerto Rico. And I, 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 love, I, I love homes. Wow. So you lived there from from birth to 21 years. Was that a hard process, graduating with your undergraduate and then applying for vet school over here? Did you always know you wanted to be a vet as a kid? You know what? That's something I would like to know too. When did you know you wanted to go to vet school? Yeah. And you know, it's like, I was the, the typical child obsessed with like science and nature. I asked for like a microscope set uh, for like, I'm sure it was a Christmas or a birthday. I got a chemistry set. Um, loved animals, volunteered to dissect a frog in seventh grade um, uh, when they cancel extra official dissection. So I knew I wanted to be in the in the nature science realm and I was obsessed with dogs. Uh, you know, I had wonderful chihuahuas growing up and I had a connection and a bond with those dogs. And then through my love with them, I, I, I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian. When I got to high school, I was like, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I did actually go into pre-med, um, um, into undergrad. I changed my major multiple times and uh, I volunteered at a vet clinic. And when I volunteered at the vet clinic, I just knew. Ooh. I just knew that was the moment, you know, it was for me. I I, I was so pumped uh, uh, after that, like that first shift that I ended up volunteering. And then later I got offered a job, you know, I, they moved from a volunteer to a job, but yeah, you know, so... So yes, I knew early on, but then there was a little bit of like, you know, when you get to those like high school, like who knows what they want? I know it's such confusing. Your hormones are going off. You're like changing in so many ways. You have to outlook. You almost have to like, you know, you're supposed to like plan your life, like be ready. But you know, it's okay. You know, I I, I got confused, but course corrected and, you know, um, ended up where I needed to be. It's the same, like, it's the same thing we were talking about earlier. Like things aren't going to be perfect. I've got nieces in high school and they're like, you know, they're a huge part of my life and they have to make decisions now in high school about the career path they want to be on because they're getting classes assigned to them based off of that, like architecture and like medical and all of these things. And I'm like, I don't, I just wish you could. And I know that the teachers know this, they have to by this point, but it's like, you're not going to be that same person in 20 years. Like, you know, you're not even gonna be that same person in five. Don't feel this pressure right now. And maybe I'm wrong for that, but it's like, gosh, dog, having things figured out in high school, like it's hard to even figure out how to have friends in high school. Well, I'm sure you're no expert in um, education. Um, so I'll say, but you know, the next thing is that even if you end up in a path that wasn't the right one, or you end up like figuring out later in life that like, hey, maybe this other thing that I want to have a passion for um, is something that you could do a career change. It's something also you can volunteer and you're like, you know, there's so many ways to get involved in other stuff so that you either change your career path if you have to and, yeah. you know, or get yourself involved in that other passion that you have that you end up not studying. So. I love that. I love that call out. Okay. So was it hard for you to go from Puerto Rico to America to start your college journey there? What was that experience like? Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, the qualifier of whether it's hard or easy, I, I, I you know, I, I just had one life experience, right? So, you know, it was, um, uh, I wouldn't, I, I don't know if I would call it hard or easy. It was certainly like different to navigate that with back days, those resources uh, versus the resources that we have today. You know, there was not really a, 
online for me to find information. I had to like, you know, um, contact places, you know, get applications, like paper stuff. And, you know, I, I remember actually I bought a little booklet um, that I don't remember the name of the little book, but it was pretty much like a, a guide on like, you know, how to the process of applying to veterinary school was. And that was really the only resource that I had, um, you know, back then. And I, I, I would have been happy to, you know, I was very lucky that when to Penn, I loved my experience at Penn my four years there, but, you know, I applied to many schools um, and um, I would have been like happy uh, and lucky to just, you know, um, you know, be accepted by any of them. Um, so I ended up applying to a bunch of them just to kind of maximize my chances of, of getting in. So. Okay. So you went from Puerto Rico to Pennsylvania. I'm sure that yeah. was, uh, I'm sure that was an oh, easy well, change. Yeah. I bet the scenery was all the same. I bet you enjoyed all the same things. Yeah, the beaches um, are just the same. You know, when you, when you're, uh, you know, the, the Caribbean beaches are just the same like the Delaware River. You're, you're I can only... I can only imagine. I'm going to have to try both of them out now. Okay. So you made it to college. You're at this point knowing that you're going to go for, for your, I would say DVM, but yours says VMD. So maybe you can help me understand that a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, I, um, uh, I'm a VMD, so, uh, I'm still veterinarian, like just the same way that, uh, um, you know, of the DVMs are, it's just simply, you know, I went to Penn. Penn is um, the second oldest uh, veterinary school in the United States. And uh, different from most of the other schools, um, the veterinary school was actually born out of the medical school. So they're already providing an MD degree. So it makes sense. You're providing an MD as a medical doctor. So it's just had a, a V in front of it. So if you also look at their dental degrees, I think the story is similar and they're also slightly different from the majority of dentists. So that's why I'm a VMG as opposed to a DVM because uh, we were not born of agricultural college. We we're born of them at school and that's how the degree uh, was made and it's in Latin as opposed to the other ones is in English. So. You kind of have like your own little um, doctor doctor gang, like your own doctor crew because- Yeah, well, the cool thing is like when you go to conferences and you see a speaker, when you like attend any event where like people have their like titles, you're like, so it's not like you don't you when you see that BMD, you don't say what school you went to. You're like, hey, so what class are you? And then you're kind of trying to find out. So this is an immediate is it? It's I really love it. It's kind of a cool way to like go about who are people that went to the same school that you went, and then you know you kind of figure out how many friends you come on, and then you 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 don't have to um, go through the introduction process of like what school you went to versus you know it's, it's all like about, automatic like, buddies. You know, where do you yeah. live? Like, I love that. Family. So it's like, it moves the process quicker in that familiarization <laughs> with other, uh, as we are called, penwees, but yes. So oh, I love that. Okay. What was your biggest struggle in your college years? Um, so struggles, I would say um, it took a little bit to get accustomed to obviously the environment and it took a little bit to get accustomed to, um, um, you know, the change in language uh, because I, learn English in a classroom and, uh, but my life was in Spanish. Um, you know, all my other courses were in Spanish. My undergrad was in Spanish. Um, but my, you know, all my English classes were in English. So, so, you know, even though I was fluent and, and you know, comfortable with it, um, you know, that it took me a little bit to, um, uh, to get accustomed to a couple of things. Actually, my, uh, on, on a personal note, um, I would like to say I'm pretty good with comebacks in Spanish, and I've always been. It took me a little bit to be good with comebacks in English, but um, if I'm going to get serious, what I struggle with in um, in um, 
in vet school and, and through that time in life was a little bit of my coming out process. And um, and I'll say, I, I just, I, I whenever I talk about this, I want to clarify, I have the most wonderful parents and my relationship with them is amazing today. It just took a little bit to get there. So, um, you know, I, I'm always very, go I'm very protective of them. So I don't want anybody to make any, like wrong judgments of my parents. It took us a long time to get where we are today. They they love my husband. They call him son. They, they treat him no differently than they treat my brother or they treat me or my sister-in-law. Um, uh, but it, it, it took us time to get there. I always looked at it as in, you know, I had a journey and I knew I was right. And they, you know, thanks to them, I was raised in a way, maybe somebody would call stubborn. Somebody may call me determined, um, whatever word or descriptive you want to realize the person that I am today is thanks to them and I knew I was right to fight for my happiness and fight you know with them in a sense to for them to understand that I was a gay man and this is not a face and it wasn't going to go away and it was going to be a permanent thing in life so I've always looked at my journey in life as almost like a a moving train right so I always thought of like I'm always going to leave a seat open for my mom and my dad for them to be part of that life. But it did come up to a point in my life that I had to be like, I love you guys and you're welcome to be part of my life. And, you know, if you choose to, I would love it. And, and that's where we've landed. And it's great. And it's, you know, I, I cannot emphasize how how thankful and uh, privileged I feel like we've gotten to that point with them. But I also had given the option of saying, I love you and I will surely miss you, but I'm going to be okay. You've raised it a strong individual that will be okay and will continue to move on with their life and find happiness without you, that's the choice that they were making in that life. Fortunately, they didn't. Um, you know, um, we're very much present in my life. I talk to them like every day. So, um, you know, you know I start what I love about, what I love about this part of your story, a couple of things. I want to talk about a couple of things really quick. One, I could never imagine doing all of my classes and having a natural strength in a different language and then coming in and jumping into something as serious as vet school. And having that language barrier, even if you were fluent in it, it's still not your first language. And vet school is hard. And I can't imagine what that process was like. So I think that's really rad that you um, that you call that out as if it's just one of the things that like you, like it was just I just had to do it. You know, like you say it so. um, um I don't know the right word for it, but it just rolls right off your tongue. And I think there's something really cool about that because you just seem like, yeah, that was a bump in the road and I had to go on to the next thing. And then two, when you talk about your family, that's a big deal, right? Like I'm going through this process a lot and have been for the last, um, however long, but you, you met my partner virtually the other day and we really feel very strongly about only love in, right? Like we're never going to judge anybody about who they are, how they're showing up in their own life but to be a part of our life, right? Like it, you, it has to be love in that's, that's the only option. And our table is as long as it, it humanly possible, as long as you have that mentality. And so I really have a strong appreciation for the open seat theory of the train ride, because the, it helps you visualize of like, yeah, there's always going to be space for you. Like, I'm always going to be here. And also you raised me to know that I deserve to be loved the right way. And there is a couple of things for me that my coming out journey, and we'll talk about that because I, you and I, I think are going to jump into a deeper conversation with that at some point. But um, 
there's things that you learn. And this is a perfect example of the things you go through in your everyday life at like personal life that serves you even whenever you go into work. Right. Because here we are talking about a conversation about just saying, listen, like I'm going to show up for you in the way that I show up for everybody. But like, you have to meet these standards to stay within this vicinity. Right. So then you think about the things that some of the people in vet med are struggling with right now and clients and the way they're treating them is one of them things. And and we, I think we struggle so deeply with boundaries in our life in vet med in general. And so this is an example of that, like setting boundaries. Once you start doing it, it can spill over into every aspect. And it is so vital that we pay attention to that because we have the ability to control these, these interactions that we're allowing for us and our staff. And I think that this is a perfect example of how it, those two paths cross. So 100%. Yeah. And I love that. And I think that's really cool. And I think that that is another example of you just considering it like a bumpier part of the road, but, but you made it through and that's resilience. And I dig that. All right. After you graduate and move into actual practicing medicine, how long were you in practice? And so I was in clinical practice for about 11 years, um, divided into hospitals. I was in the first hospital um, that I started working. Um, I lasted less than a year. Um, uh, you know, I actually got fired from that job. Um, so, you know, we're going to be transparent. Um, and then I, I, I ended up landing at a, at a second practice. And then I actually remained in that practice for um, um, 10 years. And uh, and. In that practice, I within those ten years, uh, I became a practice owner. So I was a co-owner of that practice. So, um, yeah. So that that's a little bit of like how the journey went into like clinical practice. So, and I loved it to be honest. Like, I was in the same hospital for ten years. Um, just had a really good clientele. I have some amazing friends that are still in my life that were my clients. Some of them were like generations of clients. I have a really good friend who was I used to see grandparents, parents, and them. Um, and um, it was it was it was it was great while it lasted. Um, but um, I you know I'm the type of person that also like loves change and like I hate to interrupt, but I I want to I want to talk about a couple of things that you've said really quick. When you talk about change, I know I know that I have said this on several other podcasts, and I'll probably say it on several others beyond this because I think there's such value behind it. But when I went into a bunch of different practices, I had the ability of asking veterinarians. Like I asked a bunch of them, what would your three pieces of advice be for graduating vet to have a long fruitful life in, in vet med. Right. And I asked a lot of them and I got a continual um, feedback of one of the top ones that was said often was continuing education. If you feel stagnant, you are going to be unhappy. And that even goes back to like our natural want and need and desire for growth in our personal lives, in our own, you know, not even just in our professional career, but in our home lives, like we always want to be getting better and if you're not doing that, you're standing still. And if you're standing still, that's when you really start to struggle the most, in my opinion, you know, and I, I'm sure there's, you know, things that back that up. But, but so for me, I love that you love change because it just means you want to continue bettering yourself. But I have a question. You seem to me like a super char charming fellow who's incredibly intelligent. Why were you only at your first job for such a short amount of time? Like, why would somebody want to, why would you get fired from that? Because you, no, no, you seem like salt to the earth to me. 
<laughs> no, that's very sweet. I'm gonna learn to accept the compliment and just say thank you. Um, uh, I am as flawed as individuals, everybody else. You know, I, 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 you know, certainly there was a part of it that I was not provided the, um, the mentorship that I probably needed and the support that I needed. And then, you know, as a stubborn 25 year old man who also thought that he kind of knew everything. And, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes part of it. Omar, I think what I love about your side of the story, not anybody's side of the story, I don't know that I know the other sides, but what I love about how you view it is that it wasn't a match for you. Y'all were not supposed to be in that place together. And it led you to your next part of your journey. And I think that's really cool. I think people get out of vet school. Sometimes I've seen situations, let's word it this way. I've seen situations where people graduate, they go into practice. They immediately can tell that they maybe have made the wrong choice, but they don't want to be seen as a failure. So they stick it out. And if they're not happy and their boss isn't happy with how they're showing up, that it's just sets yourself up for disaster. And like, I think it's okay to normalize that sometimes the first place isn't right. And that's cool. Yeah. I agree 100%. And also, we, you know, everything in life is, you know, for most of us, we're our privilege, at least from my point of view and my life experience and a lot of things in life, I have choices, right? You have choices to remain in situations. I have choices to not remain in situations. And it, it all depends on what you want to get out of it. And if you decide to stay in a situation, you make the choice, the conscious choice that you're going to stay in X situation even though you may be unhappy, you then need to change your mindset and be happy about the choice that you're making. So, um, and then also, you know, things just don't work out sometimes. Like not um, not everybody has to like me. I'm not going to like everybody. And it just wasn't a match. And, you know, in my perspective back then, if you had asked me when that whole experience had happened, I was so mad and it was all then, 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 then. But you know what? Now I've had a lot of time to reflect. That was, God, um, that was that was um 2001 uh when that happened uh mm. so it's been a long time um and uh I've, I've had time to think back and reflect on the situation and you know what there was a part of it that i just also i wasn't showing up right for that place i wasn't showing up you know i had not grown up enough um uh, some people, right fit. Enough, right some people maybe would be maybe some people would graduate they're more grown up than I am but I just I want to own that there was a part of that situation that was very much you know driven by me I love that and it was a growth it was a growing moment and I tell people all the time and I know this is some cliche thing and I am at peace with the fact that I say it and it's a cliche thing but fail does not mean failure and some of my greatest things that I've learned some of the greatest things that have happened to me have come from me attempting something that fell flat on its face and that's okay too because I also learned not to do that again so like I tried it it didn't happen that's okay like I learned something from it and something beautiful came that will come from that you know propel me into moving to another practice then have an opportunity having like practice ownership then I got some business skills that I didn't have before I also then had to deal with you know, you, I was one of the owners. I had to deal with employee issues, client issues. So then I learned a different, I got, got a set of different skills. So if I had stayed on that first practice, I don't, you know, I may have not gone to that second one, not had the practice owner opportunity. And then that let me, having some of those business skills, and then, you know, 
led me to the next step in my mm -hmm. career, um, you know, made me better equipped for when that next situation happened. So, well, and so you talked about this earlier, and this is a huge part for me. Some of my dearest friends, some of the people I love the most in my life, I met in that practice, right? Like me working there, getting close to, if we're doing it right, in my opinion, Omar, if we're doing it right, we're getting connected to these people that we're working with, that these clients, these, like, that's part of why I think we struggle so much is because we do get so close to them and we love them so deeply. And they're like our, they're like an extension. And I know that we shouldn't say that um, team members are family. I know that we shouldn't say that clients are family, but the fact of the matter is, is we get into intimate relationships with them, with how close we are in these conversations that we're having in these moments that we're connecting in. So for you to recognize that and have that as one of the things that you highlight from your time in practice, I think is a huge deal because the human side of that medicine, like it needs a little of attention right now because there's a lot of us that are jumping right to harsh judgment and opinions and it just needs a little love and tenderness right now. So I'm grateful that you said it. And uh, just, uh... Uh, just to give you an idea, we're, you know, I think I've mentioned to you, my husband and I are about to go on vacation this weekend. Tomorrow, actually, we depart. And um, I am going with um, two friends, um, and both of them are related. It's a mother-daughter pair. And I know them because they're actually, my good friend's grandparents were my initial clients. I developed a relationship with them um, then her, you know, they started decompensating a little bit and her parents started to come in into the hospital. Then they, you know, we had a nice connection. They just started bringing me their pets. And then ultimately she got a pet and then she started bringing her pets. Um, you know, she's a, they're dear friends. Uh, we're going on vacation for a week. Um, we've, I've had, I've taken many vacations as one friend. So I, I don't know what rules are there for like, you know, but, you know, we spend so much time at work and there's a huge, you know, we're all human, regardless of what your role is in vet med or what your role is in any industry, you know, those people it, it, it needed to be part of my life. And, you know, obviously um, time has told that they have continued to be part of my life. Well, yeah, those could, those relationships are a big deal. Like developing those relationships a lot. I think that that could, that, that is almost a meter of the success that you can have in vet medicine is the relationships you can build with the people that you're serving. That's what I yeah. believe. And I think that's probably true in many different professions, but I can only focus on one because it's just <laughs> because my, my brain can only take so much, but okay. Speaking of keeping those relationships, and those bonds, if I remember correctly from your story, isn't that how you got your foot into the industry side of vet medicine? I, I did, 100%. So um, uh, one of my best friends from vet school uh, was working for Hills um, back then. And I had seen what she had done. And um, she had talked to me about different opportunities. So just by, you know, honestly, being each other's life, she was the one that alerted me of the job at the opportunity to work for Hills Pet Nutrition in New York City. So then um, that's how I ended up applying. So it was because of my connection with this friend, this really good friend, that I knew about the role. I also had seen what she had done. I was able to like talk to her about it and understand like, is this going to be a fit for me or not? So, you know, I then was 
I ended up applying and I was like lucky enough that I got the role. And, but yeah, it was through networking, um, through uh, keeping those relationships alive. People that, you know, I was in school for four years together. Um, and then through that relationship with a really good friend is how I ended up applying to Mills. Well, and I think that goes back to even us having that thought of like a natural connection. If you have a natural connection, connection to somebody, like you want to keep them close. You always want to, in my opinion, never like burn any bridge of who shows up in a capacity that can, can be a positive light in your career because vet medicine is a small, small group, right? And like everybody knows everybody. And I believe that that networking is one of the biggest things that, that you can do, especially when you like change and growth, right? Like you said that earlier, like you like that. And that, that is an important part of you feeling like that you're serving yourself properly is to continue growing and changing. And those connections help you do that. So here's a question. Did you feel when you left? Do you feel like when you left, you were running from vet medicine or do you feel like you were running towards your next goal? Oh, I think it's more, I was excited. I was, you know, so so veterinary medicine is not defined by just clinical practice. So I think that there's the idea of people that like, oh, you become a veterinarian or you become a veterinary technician and then you're just going to be in clinical practice. This is a wonderful profession that has so many like outlets for you to be part of it. So I struggled was, you know, I, I am still a veterinarian. I am very, you know, proud of being a veterinarian. And um, uh, so I didn't stop being a veterinarian, but I started working into an industry. I just moved to a different, like, role within vet med. So I was surely, like, like running toward my next step and actually excited to find out what this new experience is going to be. You know, I, uh, uh, so it's, 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 for me, it was a positive experience. Yeah, I miss my clients and I missed interaction. I was in one hospital for 10 years. I still have some um, clients that I was very close to um, on some of my social media platforms that we're connected on. So, so I still like get to see um, some of the updates. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the patients that I used to see, most of them at this point, I, I've been out of clinical practice for 12 years. Uh, most of them have, um, you know, unfortunately passed away. Although there's one client that I adore and I still have her on my Facebook, she named it. Black Kitty Omar, um, in my honor, oh. and that kid's still alive. I'm gonna get a, a goldfish and name it Omar. What was that? I'm gonna get a goldfish and name it Omar now. Okay, just don't put it in a round ball, you know. Just you know. Oh no, they, I'll give gonna... it. It's gonna have like a little mansion in the sky. Little. Okay, that, that's all. Like we're gonna just make sure that my namesake is well treated. Uh, <laughs> okay. What? Well, okay. And, and thank I... you. Real quick, I know we're coming up on time and I certainly don't want to abuse that, but I do have just a couple more things. I love that you were running towards a goal and not running from something. I definitely felt like I ran from vet med. And I think because I did it in a way of not paying attention to what it was doing to me, then I worked on it after I got out of it, out of the actual practice. Um, that led me to running back in to do what I can to help people see kind of like some of the struggles that I healed from that I think I can help them with before they get too far gone, you know? So although I felt like I was running from, I do believe that it led to me running to my next goal. It just, it was one of those bumps in the road where I had to learn from 
I had to learn from an opportunity. It wasn't even a failure. I can't even say that. I just had to learn from an opportunity. So if you were to give one piece of advice for a young veterinarian, for them to have a long, fruitful career, what would it be? Uh, um, so this is always a great question. And there's so many things that you can, uh, you know, advise individuals. Uh, you know, a bit for me is, yeah, figure out, you know, make sure that vet med is your true passion and that this is kind of a, a little bit what you want to do. I also just, you know, want to make sure that people are like, have other outlets within their life that is not just all about Batman. And I, and I love my career, but I have a lot of other interests. And I think ultimately you need to figure out if, if there's somebody like, like looking to see a vet, like be a veterinarian or look getting into Batman, like there's so many like things that they can do. Like look, you know, like go stop at a veterinary clinic, talk to a veterinarian, find people that are have the same interest that you have, you know, maybe there's other students, there's a lot of individuals in social media kind of sharing a lot of their journey, um, you know, as well, find mentorship, um, you know, um, find mentorship early on so that you can like immediately learn from others. I think one of my, I, I, one of the things I would like to highlight during this, and I, and I say this with love, I, I individuals also just need to find passions outside of Batman um, and making sure that they are exercising those passions on a regular basis. Because I think part of our burnout is that we have an incredible compassionate group of individuals that jump in this profession with a whole heart and want to make every positive change into the profession. But ultimately they're met with life and life is not perfect, but you know, a lot of individuals kind of want to make that life perfect and then just kind of double down on that and you know and then it's just something's taking a pause taking a break making sure your mental health is number one and that you're like kind of living some of those other fun things that you like to do that are outside of Batman. I think that would make successful veterinarians and successful veterinary technicians within this profession just because um we are not you know we're more than just one dimension in life and vetmed is one of my dimensions that I'm very passionate about there's a lot of other dimensions that I'm also passionate about Mm, one, I love that. Two, find a way that you're, I'll, I'll even extend it just a little bit if you don't mind, but find a way that the passions that you do have also intertwines with how you show up to work every day because we spend so many hours there. Like they will cross over. And if you're looking for that, like what you're looking for, you will find, right? So if you're looking for how those paths cross and how they can meet up, it's going to come across. And then two or three, I, I want to just, try and paint a picture here for when he talks about, you know, like checking in with yourself and, and, and making sure that you're checking your mental health, making sure that you're serving your passions, making sure you're setting your boundaries, right? Like check in with yourself as much as you check in on the cat with chronic renal failure on your day off, right? Like check in with yourself as much as you're checking in on the parvo puppy that you don't know if it's going to make it, but you're supposed to be enjoying your day off and you're texting your technician every hour, right? Like check in with yourself that often, right? If you're willing to do it for these animals that we love so much, you're not going to be able to continue to help them if you're not doing that to yourself. If you're not checking in with yourself, you are not going to ultimately be able to serve yourself, your clients, your pets, your family, nothing. So I, I'm grateful that that was your advice. You, you, yeah. you definitely, um, you hit the mark. 
Yeah, well, thank you. You're very kind. Again, I'm learning to just say thank you when I get compliments. And I'll say, and I, you know, we all have like good days and bad days, right? Um, so, and I want to probably like, Mike, and you may find this silly, but a quote that I, I found recently, actually through a TV show, in front of me, so I quoted properly. Um, we always look at the mountains in front of us and forget the mountains behind us were just as hard to climb. So that's something I think in perspective, I, it's become a really important like quote in my life in terms of like when I'm having a bad day or when I feel like, oh my God, I'm not going to get through this. I think of this because there's a lot that came before. This is not the first mountain that I'm going to have to climb. There's a lot of other struggles that have come. So I think that's also really important to keep, you know, as a guiding light, at least for me. I knew I was going to love this interview. I knew it. And I could tell, I knew from the second I met you, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for your dedication. I'm grateful for your positive outlook. I'm grateful for your ability to go through major things in your life and consider them just getting you better for your next bump that's coming up because they're going to happen, right? I'm grateful that you give so much back to our profession, not only through the leading food company, but also through Pride BMC, that work. I know you know how much it matters. Like I know you know, but I will be another proud queer individual to make sure that you know how much it really matters, yeah. right? Like I'll say it out mm -hmm. loud. And I hope that this leads directly into my next plug of, um, Omar, will you please come back for episode two, where we talk about our coming out journey and and the impact that Pride BMC is making on our profession. Yeah, 100%. I would love it. I've had a fantastic time having this um, conversation with you. And I just want to say like, um, I just happen to be lucky to be part of the board and like um, participate um, um, with Pride BMC. There's a lot of volunteers that are helping. We have some amazing staff. So they're like the ones that are really, you know, um, doing a lot of the work. Um, I love that organization. We'd be happy to talk about Pride. We'd be happy to talk about coming out and we'd be happy to just have love to have another conversation with you. Deal. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap this one up today. I don't typically do it this way, but I'm going to, I'm going to make the social media call out and then I'm going to ask one more thing of you before we sign off. If please, if you like the episode, please like it and share it. Please follow the veterinary optimist on any major podcast platform. And then Omar, to sign us out, will you please read that quote one more time? My pleasure. Yes. Uh, we always look at the mountains in front of us and forget the mountains behind us were just as hard to climb. Mm, okay. Well, on that note, Goodbye to everybody. And I hope that they can look at the mountain in front of them and recognize that it is just as big as the one that they just got through.